Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. He has risen. He has risen indeed. Alleluia. Still today on this day, Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen from the dead. He is presently ruling and reigning over everything, over heaven and earth, all things on the earth and under the earth. Jesus really rose from the dead, and because his resurrection is real, it has real practical effects on our daily living. And that is why as a church for these Sundays of Easter, we continue working our way through this series called Easter Effects. And today in particular, Easter affects my suffering. Easter affects my suffering. I have a problem with suffering. And the problem is, I don't like it. I don't like suffering. Suffering ties my stomach in knots. It makes my head spin. It makes my heart hurt. It forces tears from my eyes. I have a big problem with suffering. Yet at the same time, when I read God's word in the Holy Scriptures, I am reminded of the deeper things, the deeper truths that are far beyond our experiences in daily living. I am reminded in the Scriptures that God is our perfect creator, that he cares intimately about his creation, so much so that he took on human suffering, most fully when he stepped into the flesh and the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bore our suffering, and he died with it on the cross. He rose victoriously. He currently governs over heaven and earth, and he will come again to bring about the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I believe all of this is true, absolutely 100%, but sometimes during my suffering, I don't want to hear it. In my suffering, sometimes it doesn't seem true, and it doesn't feel helpful. I just recently read a book. It's called The Problem of Suffering. It's a short little book. The subtitle is, It's a Father's Thoughts on the Suffering, Death, and Life of His Children by Gregory Schultz. Gregory Schultz is a Lutheran pastor, and in this short little book, he tells the story of the suffering of his very own children. He tells the story about how his one-year-old daughter died just five days before she turned one. Her name was Kylie. She died five days before she turned one after 12 months of her life, her existence, were filled and riddled with health complications and issues that were just beyond any scope of care that doctors could provide for her. And he, re he recounts this story. And as he and his wife were battling with all of these issues, they had three older children as well, one of whom, a son, uh, deals with a chronic liver condition. And in the first decade of his life, that young boy was in and out of hospitals, in and out of comas for over the 10 years of his life, and he will deal with that for the rest of his life. This Lutheran pastor tells this story of the suffering of his children, and I will be honest with you, this little book was heart-wrenching. 
Yet it was a hope-filled book, as this man, this faithful sufferer, gives a first-hand perspective on what it's like to suffer as a Christian father. And as he tells this tragic and personal story of the suffering of his own children and his suffering along with them, he also acknowledges that he believes in the, in the greater reality of what's going on. Here's one quote from his book. He says this, God's main and favorite work is to comfort us with the good news of what he has done for us with his own death and resurrection. His main work is to bring us to heaven. But before we will be the least bit interested in trusting Jesus to be our way, he has to show us beyond all doubt how lost we and our families are. This is the first unit in the lesson of suffering, and it is terrifying. Suffering in this human world is, is terrifying and, and terrible in many ways. I'll be honest, that this little short book brought tears to my eyes. It hurt me to read this story uh, of this man's suffering, this father's suffering as he watched his own children suffer. And it, and it just stirred up emotions within me of the past six months. Many of you know have been around. My, my wife and I had, had tremendous difficulties with our daughter's health conditions, even though that's nothing in comparison with what these people were dealing with, yet, yet it's our own kind of suffering as well. I could, I could just never imagine being a father and, and having to bury a child. I can't personally imagine it, but I know that many of you, even some of you in this room, have. Some of you have been in that horrific situation, and I've been with you in those times, and in the after effects of having to carry that burden. According to our church records that I, that I know of, at least, uh, there, are, there are nine parental units, nine of you, uh, who have had to bury your own children. Uh, from, from the point of stillbirth to some point in life. I believe that number is probably even higher um, than we know about, especially if we consider um, those of you who have had miscarriages um, and had to go through that form of suffering as well. I don't have to describe for you the kind of suffering that, that it would be like to be a parent that is having to bury a child, especially those of you that go through that. My prayer for us today, as, as we look at this uh, Christian suffering uh, from, a, from a holistic perspective, my prayer for you is that the, the Holy Spirit of God Almighty will do for us today, as he promised us that he is capable of doing in the book of Romans today. Uh, when Paul says this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, uh, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is my prayer for us today. Uh, my prayer for us today is that God, God help us as we grapple with our sufferings in light of the reality of your resurrection. Now, suffering has many forms and many types. Every one of us are afflicted in various ways. Some of you here are those parents who have had to bury a child. Some of you are those who have had to suffer through the, through the difficulties and, and incredible illnesses of, of your children. For some others of you gathered here, suffering has plagued you in different ways. Some, for some of you, uh, mental illness has been the thing which has caused much suffering in your life and for your loved ones who care for you. Uh, for others, you've suffered through chronic illnesses yourself. Uh, many of you, even sitting here right now, are, are battling various diseases and, and conditions in, in many forms. 
And for others of you, still the suffering of this life has afflicted you uh, as you have uh, had unsuccessful and, and difficult relationships with, with family members in this world. Suffering has many forms. I told you that I have a problem with suffering. I think that we all do. Nobody in their right minds likes suffering. So, as humans who are subjected to suffering, what do we do with this problem of suffering? We really only have two different options. One, we can let God be God. Or two, we can try to justify God's ways in a way that makes sense to us. I'd like to look at this second one first and demonstrate to you that this is not what Christians have been called to do, and yet we do it all the time. We try to justify God's actions. The, the technical or theological term for trying to justify God's actions is this word theodicy. Theodicy, it's, it's literally a word if you break it down. Theo means God, uh, and, and the deci is a, is a form that, that essentially means to justify uh, so a theodicy is when you try to um, justify God's actions. See, this happens when, when we experience the deep realities in this life that go beyond anything that we can really understand. When we, when we think about things like, like death and heaven and, and suffering and resurrection, when we think about these things, we oftentimes want to know what God knows. We want God just to clue us in. God, what are you doing here? And when we don't get answers, many times, either to ease our worried conscience or to, in our vain attempts, bring comfort to our loved ones who are suffering, we come up with these things called theodicies. And this happens when we try to, in our minds, work out what God could possibly be doing as we are suffering. And a theodicy, for example, is something like when we say to, to, to a family member or a friend who's suffering, when we say, I don't really know what God's up to, but I know that God's got a great purpose, and I'm sure God's going to work this situation out for good. While that may be true, while it may be true to speak like that, because God does indeed work beyond what we could ever see or imagine, when we say things like that, when we try to justify God's actions, we are actually speaking out of turn. Because we're trying to justify God's actions, and we may try to do it in a way that he's not intending to do. And when we do that, it's called a theodicy. When we create these theodicies, when we try to justify God's actions, a variety of things happen. And what happens sometimes is that we actually even soften the blow of the suffering. We soften the blow of the suffering. By trying to justify God's activity, we may not actually see what he is up to. Because God does work through human suffering, and he does work through suffering in ways that are beyond what we could imagine. And God is always working. If he's working through suffering, his goal is to draw people closer to him. 
but oftentimes he is doing things and impacting people who may not even be in that room or in that family situation, and he's even using that to impact a greater purpose. But we don't know that. We don't know what he is up to necessarily. And so theodicies can be dangerous because we speak out of turn and we try to put words into God's actions that he may not actually be doing. Theodicies are dangerous and we're all full of them. So what's the antidote to a theodicy? Well, it's just the, it's the first part of the word theodicy, the word theo. theo. That, that's the Greek word for God. So the antidote to us trying to justify God, the antidote is the other option of dealing with suffering that I said I'd talk about, and it's this, let God be God. Let God be God. How do we respond to human suffering? We let God be God. Now that sounds overly simplistic, but what does this mean? It means let God be who he says he is. He is creator, perfect creator. He is redeemer. He is Lord. He is with us. He is, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is so full of grace and he pours his overwhelming grace into our lives through his word and through his sacraments. God is so concerned about human suffering that he would not let his creation suffer alone. He took on suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. He took it on. He brought suffering upon himself. And therefore, this is true, that God shares in our suffering. God shares in our suffering. We don't need to create theodicies to try to explain away what God is doing. Instead of explaining away what God is doing through suffering, it's more appropriate, this is more appropriate for Christian people to acknowledge the reality that suffering is excruciating. Suffering is excruciating, and it is good for us to say this. Excruciating is a perfect word to describe Christian suffering because excruciating literally means from the cross. That EX means from, cruce or crux means cross, from the cross. The word excruciating has its origins at the cross of Jesus Christ. It didn't really become a word until Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And then it became, to know, became known as the kind of suffering that one endured on the cross, which was an incredible form of suffering. It is good for us to acknowledge that suffering is excruciating, and it's good for us to tell God, God, this hurts. This hurts, Lord. It hurts. Thank you for understanding, God. This is a word with Christian origins because it's from the cross. It's from the cross that excruciating suffering happened by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, the only true way for God to take on human suffering and win was for him to actually literally take it on, to bear our burden, to shoulder the suffering of all humanity. On his shoulders, he hung and died on the cross, 
crucified, excruciating pain and suffering for you and for me. And the only way for us to truly realize and appreciate the suffering of Jesus Christ is for us to suffer as well. Yet the truth of the matter is we don't suffer alone. God is with us. God is with us. Now really quickly, let me sum this up in a different way. And I'll ask you, does God allow suffering? Does God allow suffering? The answer is yes. Does God use suffering for his purposes? Yes. Does God cause evil? Does God cause evil? The answer is no. Does God ever intentionally lead us away from him or tempt us to run away from him? No. Are you content with all of that? Are you content with that fact, that God can allow suffering and use it? Are you content with it? It's okay for us as Christians to say, yes, I'm content, but I still don't like it. (laughs) Yes, I'm content, but I still don't like it. We can still have a problem with suffering while still allowing God to be God and work things out according to his good. We don't have much else of a choice. We don't. Those of you who have suffered incredible pain in this life and have tried other coping solutions, how did it work out for you? Any other coping solution in this life other than God himself will fall short because any solution that this world offers you will just simply turn you in on yourself. And when you are suffering, you don't need to be turned in on yourself. You need to be turned upwards. You need to be turned upwards. You need to be drawn into the greater reality of our future existence in heaven. We don't need to be pushed inward. We need to be drawn upward. And this is, in the end, how Easter affects my suffering. One of the repeated promises over and over in the scriptures about what Jesus Christ is doing, what he's bringing about in our future glory, one of the the biggest things that's coming for us is the resolution of suffering. No more pain, no more crying, no more tears, no more mourning, no more death. All of it will be gone, and all we will know is new and perfect life. All of this suffering of this life, it will come to an end. And we will realize in that day that all we have experienced, all of this suffering and death, will prepare us for an eternity of glory. As Paul said in Romans 8, 18 today, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth, they're not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. You know, we're often tempted as sinful humans to think that this life and this experience that we have now with all of this suffering and pain and death, we're often tempted to think that this is it. That this is it. That that somehow this is the great reality that we were created for. We we think often that, that heaven is somehow but a shadow of the existence that we have today. But the reality of Easter is to change that perspective and to tell us that what we will have for all of eternity is the real reality. Okay? 
What's prepared for you in eternity is more real than what you have now. The promise of eternal life is just that. It is more real, more fleshly, more relational, more whole, more full of life in Jesus Christ than now. And what we will have then as we look back on this life is this life will be but a shadow of what we have for all of eternity. And this will all come true when Christ returns once and for all to raise the dead and bring about this new creation, this new heaven and this new earth. We have this as our guarantee, Paul says. We have this as our sure and certain hope. We therefore can be content in this life in the midst of all of the suffering and death because Jesus has overcome it all. He rose victoriously from the dead and he is with us in our suffering. He has gone to prepare a great and perfect life for us for all of eternity. My dear friends in Christ, glory awaits you. Perfection awaits you. Your loved ones await you. Your king awaits you. Suffering will not last all that much longer. And so it's good for us to cry out with the church throughout the ages as the Psalms do over and over again to pray, okay, how long, O Lord? (laughs) How long? How long, O Lord? That's a good prayer for us. And we continue to pray, then, God, give us patience as we wait eagerly for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, he goes with you in your suffering. He's with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.